It's at the letters for Friday, October 6th, postseason debrief part two. Arden Swelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith, uh, just for the sake of transparency, we're literally recording this right after we uh, recorded the first postseason debrief, but that just ended up being uh, an hour-long scrutinizing, I guess, of the Jose Brios decision, uh, and we figured we might as well break this up into two uh, episodes. So, uh, Ben, it's probably worth discussing why the Blue Jays actually lost this series. Yeah, a series so rough that we have to do two podcasts to uh, break it down, <laughs> break down what happened in it. Because, yeah, that decision was uh, massive, obviously. Probably the singular moment that we will remember from this season is John Schneider taking the ball from Jose Barrios, which says a lot about the season. But it was not the only reason that the Blue Jays lost that game. Far from it. They did not score a single run. And part of the reason for that was their franchise player, one of their franchise players, made a colossal base running error. So there's a lot to get to even beyond that pitching decision. Yes, and we will uh, get to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, We'll get to the Blue Jays base running uh, in totality. But I mean, 18 innings against the Minnesota Twins at Target Field, the Blue Jays score one run. They have one extra base hit. They go three for 14 with runners in scoring position. They leave 18 on base. They out hit the twins in each of the two games. But what kneecapped the Blue Jays in this series is what kneecapped them all year long. A lack of power, an inability to execute in the moments that matter most. And the reasons for those things are in some cases opaque, definitely multifactorial, But that's how you end up with a two-game series loss in which you hold the opposition only five runs. Oh, yeah. It was a very poor offensive showing. And on the one hand, it's a small sample size. You look at the full season, the Blue Jays were not good, not great, not horrible. They were kind of middle of the pack offensively. So this was a team that was... It was all right offensively. Um, But then when the season counted most, they weren't there. And this is like, I actually do think that you can't just look at these two games as, hey, it's two games, small sample, because you knew exactly who was going to be pitching. You knew exactly where you were going to be playing. You had all kinds of chances to game plan and prepare and to get these hitters mentally and physically ready for the challenge of beating Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray. And they didn't do it. I mean, it just, it was a very poor offensive showing. I think the thing I feel like best about honestly coming off of uh, this series is just the way that you and I previewed it going into it. Because (laughs) remember, uh, we were talking about, I think I predicted nine runs over two games. So if anything, I was like heavy. I was a little too aggressive, but we we predicted like low scoring. We predicted it would come down to like who was going to slug more. We predicted that like the Blue Jays would go into their bullpen early and that like starters would come out quickly we predicted that there would be like a everybody jump on john schneider moment like that sure (laughs) happened (laughs) i kind of feel like we nailed it coming in and like one of my biggest concerns coming in was the fact that the twins led the al in homers and the blue jays absolutely did not and that in the postseason uh over the last three years half of runs scored came by a home run and when you look at the teams that won across all four wildcard series this year it was the teams that had extra base hits it was the teams that hit 
home runs. And to your point, like the Blue Jays as a contact offense, actually like above average as a batting average and on base offense, like top 10 in MLB via weighted runs created plus 107 as a club. That was good. Tied with San Diego Padres actually for seventh in MLB in terms of WRC plus, but where they lagged behind all year long. Um, This was a season-long issue, not like the runners in scoring position thing, which is really like a first-half issue that corrected in a big way in the second half. And the Blue Jays kind of like evened out to being about league average. But where they just lagged behind all year long was slugging, isolated power, home runs, hitting the ball over the fence. Like this was a huge issue for this team all season. I thought we thought it would be an issue for them in this series. It was. To me, it's the biggest reason why the Blue Jays are not still playing today yeah absolutely and you know end of the day home runs are going to play in October they're going to play in May you want to hit home runs the Jays did not and they came close and you know after the game in the clubhouse you know you hear people saying Matt Chapman was just a couple feet away from a home run he was a couple feet away from a double down the line would have scored runners line drive down the left field line it's a foul ball I would have cleared the bases. Michael, this game will break your heart. It's true. And like, man, yeah. Matt Chapman made some great contact. And he was showing signs of coming around offensively. And like, I get, if you're Matt Chapman, of course you're going to feel that. Of course you're going to sit there and say, man, that that really stings. Like, 100% get that. But at the same time, if you're the Blue Jays, it's a results business. You're judged by what happens. And if you're going to give Matt Chapman a couple hits and say, oh, he was so close, you have to let the Twins go back and replay a couple and move a couple baseballs around too. So it's not as simple as that. You can't just do revisionist history like that unless you're also going to allow the other team to do the same. Chapman is like such a perfect encapsulation of this because like, yes, he hit like a ball further in game one than either of the home runs that Royce Lewis hit. And Chapman's went for a fly out. And then obviously there was like the foul liner just absolutely stung. And it was foul by centimeters in game two. Like those are two massive like things that could have gone the other way. And all of a sudden, like Matt Chapman is the hero who showed up at the perfect time and like rewrote his entire season. Remember coming into the series, we were talking about that too, how players could change the perception of their entire seasons. And like Matt Chapman came just like a few feet um, you know, whether on one side or the other of the foul line or you know, one side or the other of the fence from doing that, like he didn't. And you look at his season as a whole, and Matt Chapman is a guy who finished second in MLB in hard hit rate to Aaron Judge. And third on that list is Matt Olson. Fourth is Juan Soto. Fifth is Ronald Acuna Jr. Like among the elite of elite MLB hitters, Matt Chapman hit the ball just as hard as they did in some cases harder and yet over the final five months of the season he had an 84 weighted runs created plus he slugged 361 which ranked 123rd of 131 qualified hitters that is eighth worst his weighted on base of 291 over the final five months ranked fifth worst of those 131 qualified hitters for some reason 
Matt Chapman could not turn that contact quality into results. He ended up in a place down the stretch where he was this team's number eight hitter. It's number eight hitter in the postseason. Matt Chapman second in the majors and hard hit rate. Matt Chapman, while Kevin Biggio is hitting cleanup and hitting fifth in the postseason. And it's just like a reflection of the problem for the Blue Jays all season long is just not turning like batting average on base percentage, weighted runs created plus into results, like into runs scored, into wins. And I honestly cannot tell you why that happened. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think too, you know, you look at at just Matt Chapman moving forward, he's in a good position. Like he's going to get paid handsomely by someone this offseason in part because of those numbers. But if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, it didn't really help you that much. At the end of the day, you know, it really didn't change things for them. And they ultimately just needed better results. And that's it's not just Chapman who has more skill than he has results on this team. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., obviously in that department. You might make the same argument about, about Dalton Varsho, depending on where you land on him. So, you know, there are a lot of players here that George Springer certainly has raw skills. I mean, this guy can hit the ball really, really hard. But George Springer has been pretty underwhelming offensively in 2023. This was his worst full season in the major leagues. And look, he's a he's still a good player. I'm not saying he's not a good player. He's a good player. But this was his worst full season in the major leagues. He's 34 years old. You know, moving forward, you know, it's likely that he's going to get worse rather than better as you move ahead here into his late 30s. And so this all speaks to to me uh, an opportunity miss for the Blue Jays because you had a lot of talent on this team and still they have not won a playoff game in seven years. Yeah, ultimately, like this season was unsuccessful because of underperformance from core players and in some cases worse than others. But like some of the names that you mentioned, right, like Springer, Chapman, Farshow, Kirk, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like those are that's five of Toronto's top seven players by plate appearances. So I think that represents your core. All of those players took a step back year over year in weighted runs created plus. And in some instances, they took a significant step back. Like your players who met or exceeded expectations, you're thinking about Bo Bichette, uh, Kevin Kiermeyer, Brandon Belt, Biggio, Whit Merrifield to a certain extent, Danny Jansen. Like this isn't really outside of Bichette, this isn't really your core core. Like these aren't your everyday guys. Like Kiermeyer and Belt, not guys who played a ton against lefties. Jansen, a guy who was not available that much due to injury. Biggio didn't play a ton against lefties until he did towards the end of the year. Merrifield, an everyday guy until he played his way out of that. Like the, I just think the Blue Jays need to have a bit of like an internal reckoning over yeah. why they could not get the most out of like some very clearly talented players. Like to your point, George Springer, two times silver slugger, Alejandro Kirk, silver slugger, all-star last year who can get his bat to literally everything. Like a guy who's gone strikeout for walk over his career, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Who like, I mean, the talent is obvious um, and makes some of the truest contact in the game. Chapman running like the second highest hard hit rate in baseball. Like, why were you not able to maximize this obvious talent? Like, why were these players taking steps back? Like, what? Like, it's it must be just. I know it's maddening for me to try to evaluate it from the outside and figure out why that's happening. And I think internally, the Blue Jays absolutely need to investigate this and figure out what went wrong there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because you know there's more ability in this roster than what we saw them produce this year. There's no question. And 
again, when the when the spotlight was brightest, when they needed the runs the most, when their pitching staff actually did a pretty good job of keeping runs off the board in both games against the Twins, the offense was nowhere to be found. And so I do think there are a couple aspects of that. I think partly you have to look at the hitting and you have to look at Guillermo Martinez, Dave Hudgens, Hunter Mentz, anyone who has hitting oversight has to, you know, there, there has to be some accountability and some look at that process because whatever it is, it's not exactly working on all cylinders right now. And I'm not saying that, hey, you got to fire everyone, you got to be reactive, but you at least have to take a very, very good look behind the scenes and see what is going on here. Because if nothing else, you need some answers and you need to be convicted that moving forward, this group is the best possible to get the most out of these hitters because there's a lot of upside here still and you don't want Vlad Guerrero Jr. to end the 2024 season with another 788 OPS. Well, and like kind of to the points we've making here, like I don't think the Blue Jays have missed on evaluation of talent. Like clearly, you know, Kirk, Vlad, Springer, Chapman, Varsho, like there's a ton of talent there and there's a ton of ability there. I think somewhere along the line, there's clearly a flaw in the process that is preventing that talent from being realized. And like I don't have enough insider information to say exactly where that flaw exists it is likely multifactorial as i said earlier but like the blue jays need to identify that because even in the series against the minnesota twins like you're facing like really really elite pitching but pablo lopez and sonny gray were not at their best in this series lopez left a lot of stuff over the heart of the plate a lot of hittable fastballs sonny gray was not sonny gray in game two like he was shaky he made mistakes he hung breaking balls and the Blue Jays weren't able to capitalize. And the Blue Jays weren't able to hit balls hard. And the Blue Jays weren't able to muster more than one extra base hit in a two-game series. It was just Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s double, I uh, believe, in the eighth inning of game one. Here in the eighth, he will deal to Vlad Guerrero, who lines one into right center field. It's a base hit, and that's going to get past Kepler and go to the wall. And Guerrero hustling into second with a leadoff double here in the eighth. The talent is there. The ability is there. You have players who are young in this game, players who are in their prime, players who are entering their primes. Like You have the right, I think, mixture of talent and ability. There's just something holding these players back from being at their best. And it's not just the two-game sample, by the way. Like It's a year-long thing because yeah. like it's this is why this team only won 89 games. was maddening offensive underperformance like for at least half the season a confounding lack of execution with runners in scoring position like repeated failures to come up with big hits and meaningful moments and just more than anything like a lack of slug a lack of home runs a lack of extra base hits you need to figure out a way to unlock that because it's there many of these players have shown it demonstrated it in the past but for one reason or another they were not able to access it in 2023 yeah, so you got to take a real hard look. And like, I, I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. takes a lot of heat. And in some cases, really rightfully so, as we will get to on the base running. But end of the day, this guy is still so important to this team. And if you were asking me for a short list of hitters that I think could go off and post a 135 WRC plus with 35 homers next year, of course, Vladdy's on that list. Like, of course, he has that upside. And you need to believe in him. And, and you know, maybe you don't extend him. Maybe he's not Miguel Cabrera. It's not like he ever stood up on a pedestal and said, hey, I'm the second coming of Albert Pujols. You know, like, it's not, it's not like he ever made that promise, right? Like, it's not, he didn't ask to be born as the son of a Hall of Famer. He's just here. And he's, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have been great. Way better than the like trailer and movie thing oh, that everyone gives them so yeah. much heat for. Like, yeah. Who cares? I wish he said that. The pools thing would be great. Well, you know, it, yeah, exactly. It would have been great if he had said that. And and he didn't. You know, he said uh, you know, all kinds of things. And he obviously loves playing the game. And he was very frustrated uh, afterwards and, and said he wants to get better in every aspect of the game. And, uh, you know, let's see if that happens, right? We'll see if that happens going into next year. But he's going to need support to do that. Every player does. And so the form that that support takes is really, really important. And I am really not convinced that what's happening around a lot of these players right now is bringing out the best in them. That's what a coaching staff has to do. And maybe it's happening. Like, I'm not saying it's not definitively, right? But like, I'm not convinced that it is. No, I I 100% agree with you on that. And, uh, like we'll we'll end on this and take a break and then do like the base running and all the you know the cast ahead in the second half because the base running is a pretty long discussion as well but like the just the way the game 2 ended was like so emblematic of that and just like look you know Yoan Duran is you know as good as they get right like this is an elite reliever in this league like and it's just an incredible pitcher but it was too easy at the end of of game 2 like you, you look at the way that that played out. Um, Espinal singles off him. Merrifield pinch runs. You got one out in the ninth. You got the tying run at the plate in a do or die game. And what happens? Duran throws three curveballs to Matt Chapman for three strikes. He throws Dalton Varsho three fastballs up in the zone for three strikes. Like no reason to like move off of the game plan that had been like well. Um, understood against these hitters all season long. No adjustment from the Blue Jays hitters. No response to them from it. They just like went down in incredibly feeble manner, to be candid. I mean, just three curveballs to Chapman, three fastballs to Varsho, game over, season over. Just like yeah. well-established weaknesses getting exploited clearly. Like I just thought that, you know, the way that that game ended like just kind of said it all about the way that this offense performed all season long. Hey, great job by the twins to in their pro scouting department, identify that Dalton Varsho is not good against elevated fastballs. Great job by the twins on so like the twin and good for the twins, right? No one wants to hear this. No one wants to hear me say this, but like it actually is cool to see like a city come out of a drought like that 19 years later. Like I was kind of happy for the twins fans there in in a weird way because they have suffered so much when it comes to October baseball. And then they came out and they played so well. That was an amazing series by the Twins. But it doesn't change the fact that the Blue Jays got in their own way from start to finish. We said that coming into the series too, though. Like, don't underestimate the Twins. They're good. They're much better than their record would show. They had a, like, disastrous record in one-run games that if, you know, they had had a bit of their luck there, they would have looked much better in a full-season sample. Their bullpen led MLB in strikeout rate in September. Like, they were, they were a totally differently constructed relief court uh, coming into the postseason, and they had really good starting pitching. So, like, I think people definitely underestimated the Twins coming into this series and if you heard us on the preview episode we said that's a mistake and that you will rue the day yeah. that you do that this is really good competition but you still needed to just see more of a response i think from blue jays hitters to the way that they were approached all season long to the way that like pitchers got them out like i think about how many times i saw vladimir guerrero jr make early count outs on like two seamers change ups in on pitches like moving in towards his hand. I saw him do that repeatedly 
all season long. He got himself out a lot, and I just didn't see the adjustment that clearly needed to be made. I'm not a hitting coach. Like, I never stood in that box. I'm not saying it's easy. It's extremely hard. But, like, much smarter people than me and people who know a lot more about this than me have said the same things. That, like, the Blue Jays at times were pretty predictable, pretty easy to pitch to. Right. And I think, like, end of the day, like, October is when players step up. It's when players have the chance to step up, right? And the Blue Jays just didn't do that. They, they're, whether it's their game planning, their preparation, analytics, scouting, instincts on the field, whatever you want to attribute it to, end of the day, Royce Lewis stepped the hell up. Carlos Correa looked like an impact-making player. He looked like an MVP player in that series. And, and you know, Duran, too, where were the Blue Jays stepping up? And I'm not trying to pick on anyone here, but, like, Kevin Gosman didn't do it. George Springer didn't do it. Jose Barrios did. You know, there wasn't a lot. Vlad Guerrero Jr. didn't do it. Bo Bichette got a bunch of hits, but also made a mistake on the bases, as we'll get to. That You can keep going down the line. Like, they did not have anyone. Brandon Belt didn't do it. it. And it's a collective failure. This is not on any one individual. But if you want to win in October, you need someone to step up. Yeah, I mean, Carlos Correa made, like, series-changing plays in those games. Like, Royce Lewis made series-changing, game-changing plays. Like, yeah. absolutely, like impactful plate appearances i struggle to name a toronto blue jay who did anything that approached that yeah burrios is the only one who did let's step away and let's come back and let's talk about base running and let's talk about vladimir guerrero jr and let's talk about what's gonna happen next let's see if we can find somewhat of a positive note (laughs) to end on all that and so much more when we continue on at the letters Listen to At The Letters ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It continues on At The Letters, Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith. Thanks again to our producer, Christian Ryan. He is uh, pulling Yeoman's work, putting together this uh, two-part recap debrief post-mortem after the Toronto Blue Jays season ended and Ben if there are like two moments that are going to be just absolutely singed into the minds of Blue Jays fans for this entire offseason number one was Jose Barrios being pulled from game two of the wild card series number two is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on second base two out Bo Bichette at the plate full count battling against a very good pitcher at the end of his line, the Blue Jays' best hitter in position to have one of those like impactful series-changing moments that we were just talking about, and Vlad is picked off by Gray and Carlos Correa. Well, it's a huge moment in the game, of course, and really, I almost want to start by just giving the Twins credit here because they actually just have so much veteran savviness here from Carlos Correa to realize that at that point in the game, the Twins crowd was really loud. Target Field was actually super loud. Both games, the crowd was into it. And they realized that Vlad Guerrero Jr. and the other base runners were not going to be able to hear when Louis Rivera, their third base coach, yelled to get back. So they already had this play in their mind going into the middle innings of this game picked the absolute perfect time to do it and execute it perfectly. So amazing job by the Twins. But equally, this is an absolutely unacceptable, sloppy play from Vlad Guerrero Jr. It cannot happen. It reflects a lack of focus. There is no excuse. He didn't give one, to his credit. There is no excuse to be given. 
John Schneider, who is fiercely loyal to Vlad and has defended him at times this year when I thought he didn't deserve to be defended, such as when he didn't run out of the batter's box in Colorado. Schneider, the the most loyal Vlad guy you're going to find, did not defend him. He said there is no excuse because there's not one. This is just in the stakes. I don't care if the stadium's loud. You have to stay close to second base. You are the tying run. I like it is so obvious that you cannot afford to let Bobachette miss an opportunity to drive in the tying run of that game in that situation. And it is honestly, it's like Carlos Correa and the Twins were better baseball players than Vlad Guerrero Jr. and the Blue Jays. And Vlad Guerrero Jr. might have as much talent as anyone, but that is not being a good baseball player. Yeah, it's just inexcusable. Like I can't put it any better than you just did. Like it's a lack of attentiveness. It's a lack of focus. It's a lack of awareness. Vlad's only 24. Like, he's still very young, but he's not young in this game. Like, this is his fifth MLB season. He's been playing this game his entire life. He grew up around the game. You all know who his dad is. Like, it's just not a mistake that someone like that can make in a moment like that. Um, like, you, you are a... You are a, a a cornerstone, a cornerstone piece of this lineup. Like you are a leader on this team by virtue of being one of its most talented players, regardless of how old you are. And you have to be better than that. Like in in a spot, like with your best hitter at the plate, battling his ass off against a fatigued Sonny Gray who is facing his final hitter of the game. And yes, Bobichet could have struck out there. He could have popped up. He could have grounded out. Those are all possible outcomes, but you didn't even give him the opportunity to make the out. Like you took the bat out of the hands of the best player on your team in like probably the best moment that you were going to get to change the course of that game because the Twins were about to hold hand things over to their bullpen and shorten the game and start matching up and putting you in disadvantageous situations from that point on. You are the runner at second base. You're not going anywhere. There's a runner at third. There is no reason to stray that far from second. There's two outs. You're going to score on anything because you're going to be running on contact and you're going to be running hard because you do provide good effort in situations like that, unlike the one in Colorado. And it was just reflective of like just a problem for this team all season long which was just poor base running outs on the base paths, poor cost benefit assessments, over aggressiveness, like a team that by Fangraph's base running metric, which like takes into account like a whole host of different, you know, metrics and inputs and things that evaluate base running because it's a bit of an imperfect science, but this is as much of a catch all as we get by Fangraph's base running metric, the fourth worst base running team in baseball. And it showed in the wildcard series. It, it really did. And I, I want to get to the broader picture here. But I, I just to return to Vladdy for a second, like I, to be really clear, just just to anyone listening, you know, I'm talking about that play when I say that I'm not talking about Vladdy, the person I'm not talking about Vladdy and like what he's capable of moving forward or what he represents to this team. I, I got a lot of time for Vladdy. And I think that he sometimes gets overly criticized. But in this case, no amount of criticism is enough. Like it, it, every bit of criticism that he gets on this play is deserved. There is no nuance here. There is no counter argument. 
he messed up. And I think, too, when you look at what he said going into this series, he said this is not the NBA where one player can score 80 points. I've got to stay calm. I've got to trust my teammates. If I can trust my teammates, I think we're going to be fine. Those were Vladdy's words. So he knows better. But in that moment, he couldn't execute on that. He was trying to do too much. He was trying to be that much closer to home. And the intention was there. But this isn't a game where we measure intention. It's a game where we measure results. And unfortunately for the Blue Jays and Vladdy, he veered away from his own game plan and from what he knew was actually the right thing to do. And that inability to sort of stay within himself and stay within what he knew was the right thing to do cost him and cost the Blue Jays. And, but, I, you know, it's, we've seen it before, Ben, is the thing. And I do think that Vlad deserves some criticism beyond only that play. No doubt. For his focus and intensity and the consistency of those things. And we've talked no about doubt. this on the play on the podcast before, right? Like what was the big Vladdy discussion that we had recently where we got into a lot of these issues that kind of we've seen throughout his career? Like there was so like and I'm I'm sure you'll remember this. There was a moment in game one, and I don't know if the broadcast picked it up or not. Obviously, I was in the press box box watching, but I know I turned to you and mentioned it to you and you said oh yeah that's bad eighth inning it's 3-1 minnesota jordan hicks is on the mound he allows a two-out single to carlos correa totally underrated player in this series through and through two runners on pete walker jogs out for a mound visit he's trying to slow things down he's trying to go over strategy the entire infield comes to the mound except for one bows on yep. the mound biggio chapman kirk there was only one Blue Jay infielder who did not go to the mound in that moment, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. And I turned to you right away and I said, look at Vladdy. Look at what he's doing. He's joking around with Carlos Correa at first base. He's going back and forth with the twins dugout. He has no idea a mound visit is even occurring in the eighth inning of one of the most important games this team will play all season. And I think it just reflects a lack of focus a lack of intensity, a lack of togetherness with his teammates, like a lack of engagement in the game. It's the eighth inning. It's the postseason. This is a humongous spot. I just think it's inexcusable in that moment, as it was inexcusable getting picked off at second base, to be like joking around with you know the the opposition dugout and palling or you know having Carlos Correa putting his arm around you. It was a moment that just like stuck with me. And I think just kind of speaks volumes about what really holds Vladimir Guerrero Jr. back from fulfilling his obvious potential. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that moment is telling. And it's it's not going to show up on a score sheet, right? Like, did that end up changing the outcome of that game? Not even close, but it reflects the mental approach. And this is not easy to do, but it's part of the job of being a major league player. It's something that someone like Bo Bichette is very, very, very good at. Some players, Jose Bautista, really, really, really good at. Some players are great at it. Some players are not. And what we're seeing from Vladdy in these really big moments says he's not dialed in in the way that will help him be a better major league player. And that's costing the Blue Jays, especially when they don't score collectively and they're not winning 12 to 1. And especially when they also have tactical mistakes made by their by their front office and their coaching staff. So the, all of this gets magnified, and this would be different. No, we're not talking about this play if the Blue Jays hit four bombs, but it, it's still worthy of discussion. I think it's a good point. And to your point, like, Vlad cares. Like, he really wants to be great. 
He really wants to win. Like he's really passionate about baseball. He cares about this game. He cares about its history. He cares about his play. There is just a, as you said, like just there is a a lack of discipline, a lack of focus, like a lack of engagement intensity at times that holds him back. And maybe he'll get there. He's still only 24. Like I think that the future is bright for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I think that outside of Toronto, because inside Toronto, like just like the discourse around him is so toxic, but like outside of Toronto, he's going to be everyone's like sexy sleeper pick next year as like an MVP candidate because everyone's going to look at the quality of contact he made this year and the bad luck on balls in play and the fact that he was an MVP finalist before in the 48 home run season and the obvious ability and his age and all these things right outside Toronto they're going to factor in all those things and say oh this guy is like my sleeper pick like this is the guy who's going to go off and be an MVP candidate next year and that's going to be totally justified like that's going to make sense because like coming off of this season like yeah you you could totally make that argument but if you've been watching him play every day over the last two years like you're seeing a player whose development appears to be regressing and like that's a problem the Blue Jays need to figure out like how to arrest that imminently like they need to turn that around and get Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s trajectory back on an upswing and back towards fulfilling his potential and becoming the player that like it is so obvious that he can be he could be so special in this game with the innate and uncommon special talent that he possesses. Like the Blue Jays need to find a way to get through to him, get more buy-in from him, and like get him on track to being the superstar in this game that he is capable of being. Yeah, exactly. And this is a an organization that has a lot of player development people. They talk a lot about player development. They've had some player development success stories. And this is a high leverage player development moment for them, which can and does happen at the major leagues. They need Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to develop from where he is now to being a better player than this. And again, maybe there's never a point that Vladdy signs a $400 million extension with Toronto. Maybe he goes to sign with the Giants in two years, and maybe that's okay, but that's still two years from now, and those are still two super important years for this franchise. How do you explain the base running in general? How do you correct the base running in general? Like, how could this team be better next year? Because, like, I will admit, coming into the season, I thought the Blue Jays were going to be a good base running team based on the personnel on their roster. And boy, was I wrong about that. Yeah, I mean, we all were. And the Blue Jays themselves, I mean, they talk about paying attention to the little things and, you know, being a better fundamental team. Wow, did that ever, you know, really didn't show up, really didn't show up. That's another one of the reasons where, to my point on last podcast, like, don't really see this as being a great year for John Schneider. Because if you're talking about doing the little things, back that up with actions and performance and they haven't done that so you know you look at a team that when it comes to their base running as you pointed out they have been very poor when when it comes to that fan graphs metric that you cited stolen base efficiency 29th in baseball not good at all making mistakes and, and not just making mistakes and not just the Vlad mistake but also Bo we don't need to necessarily do a full debrief on this but you know with Bo down three, you know Carlos Correa is at shortstop. It was an amazing play by Correa, but I still think that was a mistake by Bo Bichette. So you have your two best players making these mistakes in the biggest, biggest moments of the season. I have no idea how to solve it. I mean, I, I think I would start in spring training just by saying, guys, we're not going to make dumb mistakes on the bases. We can be 30th in Major League Baseball in stolen bases this year, but that means we're also going to be 30th in caught stealing, and we're also going to be 30th in making unnecessary outs. Like, you don't have to be 
1985 St. Louis Cardinals out there. But you have to be conservative if you're going to be conservative and just not run yourself into outs unnecessarily. Was that not the theme of this spring training, though? But I think they also wanted to be selectively aggressive. And like, look, someone like Kevin Kiermeyer, who arrived in Toronto as a fully formed major league player, he was 14 for 15 stealing bases. His base running was incredible. It's one of the many reasons that, you know, I was just wowed by what Kevin Kiermeyer did all season long. But he made great decisions. Not everyone did. Should ask him, like, how the Rays teach that stuff. Yeah. So obviously, Kiermeyer's a product of the Rays system. Uh, the Rays is the second best base running in, uh, team in baseball this year via that same fan graphs metric uh maybe he's got some of that secret sauce like because i like i don't have the answer i don't think it's all on john schneider like no I just, I, of course you not. know if anything this he like over preached attention to detail and the little things and focus and attentiveness right like that like he talked about those things incessantly in spring training so i like i don't know what the coaching staff could have done differently and like just from a personnel standpoint like i said on paper should have been a good base running team and yet like it was not and you had players who had decreases in sprint speed year over year that shouldn't be having decreases in sprint speed Bo Bichette sticks out as a big one a guy who's early in his career it's like how are you getting slower Santiago Espinal how are you getting slower I don't have the answer to that man like I have yeah no idea i have like some theories on the hitting sure. side and what the blue jays can do there on the base running side man i haven't a clue yeah, and I think that's fine. I mean, we're not major league base running instructors. It's not that's not our expertise, you know, like that's that's someone else is is better at sorting those things out. Yeah, I think from afar what we can say with a lot of confidence is it is a problem. It is a problem. The Blue Jays are running into outs. You only have 27 outs in a game, right? So if you make 27 outs in the bases, that's a game's worth of outs. And you have to treat those outs as if they're really precious. And, uh, you know, Whit Merrifield, for example, got caught stealing 10 times on his own this year. Was that really worth it? You know, was that really worth the whole um, 26 steals that he had? Probably not, um, just given the overall success rate in the league, which is now around 80%. So, I think the question of how they solve it, that's up to a base running instructor or, you know, that's that's up to someone with with experience on the ground. But I think if nothing else from afar, we can say that it is an issue that needs to be addressed. And maybe that's just internally. Maybe that's personnel. Maybe that's front office. Maybe that's coaching or some combination of the above. But it is something that they do need to clean up. So internally, what changes going forward? I'll start here. I do not believe that the job security of Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins, or John Schneider is in jeopardy. I think all three of those individuals will be back in their roles next season. Do you agree with me? Yes. So we can just stop that conversation right there. <laughs> People who yes. want to fire everyone, not going to happen. I will be surprised. If any of those three are dismissed, I look, somebody takes another opportunity that happens, but I don't think any of those three are going to be like relieved of their duties, nor will they take another opportunity, right? Yeah. Like, it's not like Mark Shapiro is going to be the, it's not like he's going to go and be the big 10 commissioner. <laughs> is that the conference? I forget what, you know, like they're, they're here, they're here. You know, it's not they're like John Schneider is going to take a different managing job. I think those guys are here. Um, here. And so, you know, for the for anyone who wants those guys to be fired or dismissed or moved on from, um, I'm sure there's other podcasts to listen to on that one. But I don't think it's going to happen. So it's not really worth exploring at this point. 
I think that on the coaching staff, I mean, on the pitching side, I don't know what more you could ask for than like one of the best pitching staffs we've ever seen in franchise history. Best pitching staff top to bottom, in my opinion, in baseball this year. On the hitting side, I would not be surprised if there were some changes to the uh, people who work on hitting with the Blue Jays. And that is like coaching. That's strategy. That's some of the names that you mentioned earlier. Would not be surprised if like Matt Haig was a part of this staff next year. Wouldn't be surprised if individuals who are on the coaching staff and hitting aspect this year do not return. Like I think that's where just from a public facing side, you will see the most noticeable change in 2024. Yeah, it's entirely possible. I could see that happening. I think you at least have to take a look at it. You don't want to make a rage decision and say, you know, you're firing someone just because. But look, the results speak for themselves, right? This was an okay offensive team in the regular season um, that included some really significant underperformances. And then in the postseason, they showed absolutely nothing. So yeah, you're going to look at that. You sh- you need to look at that. And where that leads, I don't know. But you have to be open-minded to is there a way to do better? And I would tend to think there's probably a way to do better than what they did this year. So yeah, I, I could see some changes occurring. I don't see changes occurring on the pitching side. I'm sure that Pete Walker will be invited back. And, and I'm sure that he's, he's a very skilled pitching coach and does a lot of good things for this organization. So I don't think it's on that side. But on the hitting side, maybe. Yeah, the trust that pitchers have in Pete Walker, like it's just, um, it's unbelievable. You know, like he does such a good job of relationship building with his pitchers, of getting to know them, understanding their quirks, their idiosyncrasies, understanding how to get the best out of them, building trust in them, which is huge. Like you cannot say enough about the job that he does with them. And then, you know, working with like guys like, you know, David Howell, who, you know, comes up with a lot of great ideas and like Jeff Ware, who, you know, has a lot of good suggestions and the way that those guys kind of work in collaboration with one another and apply information and, um, you know, get buy in from the pitchers like I think that's working really well I think those are some of the issues on the hitting side that the Blue Jays could look to correct you know when it comes down to what information do we value how do we communicate it to our players how do we get buy-in from them to utilize it what does their pregame prep look like you know what are their in-game adjustments look like like how do we put them in the best possible position to not have another year where their hitting stats go backwards when we're talking about like five of the top seven hitters on this team in terms of plate appearances like I I think that in terms of just like systems and process like that's somewhere that you know Blue Jays could really improve yeah I mean coaching staffs are big in Major League Baseball now but each voice on a staff is important you know let's say you have three or four hitting people on a coaching staff in 2023, 2024, well, that's not 15. You know, you want to be really careful about each one of those voices and make sure that they are putting your hitters in a really good position because the competition, man, I mean, it's good. This is a really tough division. You're not going up against, you know, junior varsity here. You're playing against the the big titans in the American League. And so if you want to beat the Orioles and the Rays and the Yankees and the Red Sox, you want to have the best people in position as possible. So you have to look and make sure that you have that in place. Beyond that, when it comes to player personnel and the rotation, you're returning um, four out of five that ended the season in your rotation. Obviously, Hunjin Ryu is a free agent. Alec Manoa is like an entire podcast episode to himself. But uh, I think that, you know, you are at least returning like the top four from your rotation. That's a great place to start from. 
Definitely going to want to add there. Probably not the splashiest ad on the starting pitching side this uh, this offseason. But, you know, if there's an interesting depth opportunity, obviously your your quad A types and your minor league deal types. Um, and you hope somebody from within can impact if that's a Ricky Tiedemann, if that's someone else, who knows. But, like, you feel okay on the starting side. In the bullpen, Jordan Hicks is a free agent. Probably want to add a, a pretty good reliever this offseason if you can. But the biggest change is going to be to the lineup because Matt Chapman, Kevin Kiermeyer, Whit Merrifield, Brandon Belt, all four of those are going to depart free agency. There's an option for Whit Merrifield that is extraordinarily unlikely to be picked up. Uh, and then Chapman, Belt, and Kiermeyer are all true free agents. And that is one third of the lineup that you ran out for two games in Minnesota. So this is going to be one way or another, a dramatically looking lineup in 2024. Yeah, it really will. It really will. And I mean, that's to get into the nuance of each of those decisions. I mean, that's, that's probably three, four five podcasts worth that, you know, we can, we can get to and do in due time here. But I think to the broader point, there will be tons of turnover. This lineup will look very different, you know, of those free agents I think it makes a lot of sense to revisit a deal with Kiermaier. He was really good. He's a really, really good major league player. I mean, I was really impressed by him this year. Fly ball left center. And caught by a sliding Kevin Kiermaier. How big was that? That ball drops. You know, Belt in the right circumstances? Sure. He he actually, I was pretty down on Belt, as, as ATL listeners will remember. And uh, I thought it was all BABIP early, and I thought he looked pretty rough in April, but he really showed something. So, you know, Belt, I think you're open to. Merrifield's not coming back. Jordan Hicks not coming back. You know, at least, sorry, I shouldn't say he's, Jordan Hicks is definitively not coming back, but I'll say I personally am not expecting that Jordan Hicks is, you know, a lock to return. I, I'll phrase it that gently. You know, we'll see what happens with guys like Chapman. But there's there's all kinds of turnover coming. This this team will look really different, and they need one way or the other. They need multiple multiple bats. Yeah, I think Hicks was a good trade. I think ultimately Blue Jays kind of learned that he's not the best fit for them. Yeah. Um, so I also do not expect that he will be back. But I'm always open to being surprised. Yeah, um, yeah Kiermaier would be, I think, a great guy. To bring back, I kind of wonder what his desires are. Um, you know that at this stage in his career, he's looking to win. So that's good for the Blue Jays. Uh, but I think he's also looking to play somewhere that you know his family wants to be and somewhere where he is preferably on grass. So, uh, well, you know, I don't know how, you know, the Blue Jays can't do anything about the grass aspect. They can do a lot about, you know, the family aspect and, and making people feel comfortable and then, you know, welcome. And like, this is a place where they, they want to live. So it's going to depend like Belt, Kiermaier, those guys like stick out as this, like, there's this recent vintage of like Blue Jays free agent acquisitions where they sign guys for like a year or they trade for them with the year remaining, like Whit Merrifield kind of falls in this category as well, and get, honestly, the best year those guys have had. <laughs> like, and those guys are going to have. Sure, Robbie Simeon. Ray. Oh, Simeon, Robbie Ray, Ross Stripling. Like, so, and the Blue Jays looked at those players and said, we believe we got the 
best year that you're going to have in your career, like <laughs> the best year that you have remaining in your career in, in certain cases. And I kind of wonder if they're going to look at Belt and Kiermaier the same way and say, we got like, we maximized you on that kind of one year deal. And we're going to look to just cast forward to the next individual out there who we think we can get on a short term deal who's going to weigh out you know who's going to provide a ton of surplus value and way outplay their contract somebody who maybe the market is undervaluing a little bit uh and we're going to try to cast ahead and do the same thing we've done for the last several years again yeah yeah i could see that for sure especially with bell right he's getting older and uh it really worked but that might be a one and done with kiermeyer I, I agree. I've always had the understanding that he would prefer to play on grass, all things being equal. But I believe his number one driver is winning. At this point in his career, that's my belief. And so I think from that standpoint, the Jays can be players if they want to be. And it is a weak free agent class. Like there is not a ton of domestic talent on the free agent class that would be very interesting, I think, to the Blue Jays. There is a good deal coming over from Japan. Um, this is a on good the pitching year. side. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good year if you're an overseas player to get posted because like the domestic free agent class is pretty light. So it's a great year to get posted because there there should be some money out there for you. And there are some interesting names out there. But like I just I can't get around like the fact that the Blue Jays need to add an impact bat to this lineup. Like they need to add like a legitimate big league player. And I can't get around the fact that considering the options in free agency, uh, that is most likely to happen via trade. Yeah, it's entirely possible. You know, it's funny. I love the offseason stuff so much, but I'm I'm not even there yet as far as having looked at this <laughs> stuff. So like I, I totally agree they need a big bat, but like I have any I don't even have any takes yet. Those will come. The takes will come. Don't worry, it's familiar guys like uh, Teoscar Hernandez and Matt Chapman, who you already know. There we go. Um, I hear Lourdes is out there. Yeah, Lourdes is going to be out there. Uh, yeah, like like Kevin Kiermeyer, Whit Merrifield, Brandon Belt, all kind of, you know, Hunjin Ryu, I've heard all of these kinds guys. of, uh, yeah, no, you've done your homework on them already. Uh, I, so I guess my final thought on the season as we wrap this up, uh, you know, the, the second <laughs> debrief after uh, the Blue Jays postseason exit, it's the exact same thing I said during this episode a year ago. What a missed opportunity. Like what a, another incredible waste of a season for the Blue Jays. Honestly, like you had the best pitching staff in baseball. You had the best rotation, in my opinion, in franchise history, the deepest bullpen in years. You had incredible health and availability, wire to wire, bounce backs from Barrios and Kikuchi, two guys who had like borderline career seasons coming off of two of their worst seasons ever. Another waste of like uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette's ARB years. You had George Springer kind of exiting his prime and now getting into kind of the decline phase. You had Kevin Kiermeyer's like renaissance season at 34 and being healthy. You had a vintage Brandon Belt season, as we said. You had excellent up-the-middle defense, not only in the outfield where the defense was exceptional, some of the best outfield defense, center, right, and left that you've seen from this franchise, but you had great defense behind the plate from Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen. You had strong shortstop defense from Bo Bichette. You had Kevin Biggio having a marvelous bounce-back defensive season. You had the Red Sox and Yankees having down years in the division. 
I mean, you just can't count on so many of these things happening next year on finding another like Kiermaier belt contributor late in their careers on, you know, George Springer bouncing back like this just might be what he is. This might be kind of the gradual decline of George Springer later in his career. Like you can't count on the health. You can't count on the availability. You certainly can't count on the pitching being as strong next year as it was this season so like just for all those reasons and more i think it's just another incredible wasted opportunity for this franchise agreed agreed and and you know was it a success i would say no i would say it was not a successful season i in my opinion this is the single most frustrating season that i've witnessed um uh, you know like they underwhelmed at every turn they played well enough to give their fans a lot of hope but never well enough to let their fans relax um, never well enough to compete for a division title, never well enough to win a playoff game. It was extremely frustrating. And it doesn't mean that they aren't capable of way, way more. And it doesn't mean that there's not still uh, a lot of ways to make this team really good for 2024. But as long as we're talking about 2023, and this might be the very last time we talk about 2023, because, man, it's not like we need to do two more podcasts on this. But to me, it was not a successful season. It was a frustrating season. And again, I really thank our, our listeners and fans for sticking with us here because, you know, it, I know listening to the Blue Jays for an hour a week after watching them lose three or four, you know, whatever it was, wasn't always the most fun. So thanks so much to everyone who stuck with us. But I honestly think like I can't think of a more frustrating season than this one. Yeah, it's not lost on us that this was not a particularly entertaining team to follow for six months. Um, yeah. <laughs> Don't believe most... us. It's not lost on us. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, it wasn't the most pleasurable experience, I think, for a lot of fans. Like, I don't think this team was as much of a source of joy as, you know, previous teams yeah. that failed to reach their destinations were. I think more often than not, it was a source of frustration and torment and like some of that is just sports right yep. and some of that's the nature of fandom like some of that is baseball and it being just the grind of all grinds and it's like not it's going to be ugly at times it's not always going to be a great experience some of that is like you know fans kind of experiencing a pitching and defense first team on the heels of like the all-out slugging teams of past several seasons which were never out of games like that is a bit of a harsh juxtaposition to go to a team that is going to try to prevent a ton of runs rather than score a ton of runs and try to win that way like i you know there is a bit of an aesthetic difference there and a difference in just how enjoyable that product is but yeah i do think for one reason or another like fans were not particularly satisfied with the season and didn't appear to have a lot of fun so yeah i don't hold it against anybody who's got a bit of a, a sour taste in their mouth after this one well yeah like i've asked people and maybe you have an answer to this maybe not but i've asked people like including inside the organization and like friends of mine like hey like what, what's your favorite moment of the season <laughs> and like there's I, you know i don't know that there's like a lot of convincing answers and of course people have their own ind individual moments and like you know that's fun but um I don't know. I don't necessarily have one myself where it's like, well, obviously, like this was like such a joyful moment or such an incredible performance. And there were great storylines. But, uh, you know, there's no single moment to me that that jumps out. And that is sort of telling about a season that really underwhelmed. Davis Schneider in Boston is yeah. the first thing that comes to mind. And he gets one in the air to left. And back at the wall is Durant. And it's gone. Davis Schneider. In his first big league at bats. 28th round pick, first major league at bat, hits one over the monster. 
you know, you say Kikuchi when he was on that crazy roll where he was yeah. like, was it wasn't right after the All-Star break, right? Where he He's striking out all kinds of batters, leg kicking. Yeah, you yeah, say was fun this year. You say was fun this year. Right. You know, Kevin Gosman every time out. I mean, yeah, just a masterful season. And we saw it in spring training. Like he was vaporizing dudes in Florida and just yeah. like continued through the season. So, you know, Chris Bass's 200th inning sticks sure. out. Um, Vladdy slides like for the most part I truly mean like honestly yeah. like my favorite part of the season might have not, obviously not talking game two here but you know for the most part like Vladdy sliding was like really fun but like I don't know there's <laughs> usually there should be something more than that yeah a couple of big Varsho moments where he showed some uh like some emotion but you also had to like withstand a lot of frustration in between those moments you know I found Yanis Cabrera just entertaining sure <laughs> you yeah. know like it was just kind of funny to watch pitch and watch in a clubhouse. Like he was just yeah. like an entertaining dude. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right. Like it's there. It's hard to think of like too many moments that, you know, you would put on to like the highlight reel of the season, which is uh, which is tough. And look like the bigger picture concern here is that like there's a competitive window here that the Blue Jays are very much into the back half of uh, like you got two more years with Bobachet and Vlad Guerrero Jr. under club control. Danny Jansen is in his walk year, like if you can believe that. Uh Jordan Mono, two years away as well. Kevin Biggio. Kevin. Yeah. Like, you know, the Tim Mays, Eric Swanson, like, you know, obviously like these are relievers, like, you know, <laughs> it often ends more in a non-tender than it does uh in a guy reaching free agency. But still, like there's a window you're getting towards the end of. And the Blue Jays in recent years have not done a good enough job of drafting and developing to believe that they are going to be able to just like sustain that window and to keep it open with an influx of young talent that can change like very quickly. And the Blue Jays do have a good collection of like league average dudes coming out of their system with your like your Schneiders and your Horowitzes and your Alan Rodins and Damiano Palmegiani, who is like already my sleeper, by the way, to like make noise next spring and possibly even win a job on this team. Uh, that's neither here nor there. But like you don't see a ton of those like high end upside players that are ready to graduate out of this system and impact the roster and like have a Alec Manoa 2022 season or a Vlad. Amir Guerrero Jr. 2021 season like the biggest highest upside talent in the organization is already concentrated at the big league level so there is like a dire need to find a way to win right now yeah win this is the time this is the time yeah it just hasn't happened right oh and four in the playoffs the last like oh it's, it's been a while like you just you start by winning a playoff game and you know They've really fallen short. So yeah, the window is here. They got to take advantage of it. Still can absolutely do it. Still in a good position. Like going into 2024, there's zero reason this team shouldn't contend. Zero reason this team shouldn't be in a position to absolutely be one of the best in the American League. But they got work to do before that point. Yeah, no, we should, it's worth like remembering. It's still a good team, like a top 10 team in baseball, like 89 mm -hmm. wins this year. I mean, how many teams had more wins than that? Eight. Eight teams had more wins than the Blue Jays this year. They were a good team. Yeah, they were a good team, right? Like they won one less game than the Astros and Rangers and Phillies who are still playing, you know? Yep. Like it was a good team, but it was not a great team. And the goal ultimately is to have great teams that win championships. It, it has to be. 
It can't be the Jerry DePoto goal of winning for 54%. That's embarrassing. Like you're in this it's an <laughs> entertainment business. It is embarrassing. It's honestly like, and, and DePoto himself admitted he was embarrassed by it. Those comments are like, it's, and I know we got to wrap here, but like it, it's reflective of an industry that's gone too far toward like sustainable competition and not far enough toward let's actually win the games in front of us. The Jays need to, they need to find a way to break through here. And that probably means winning more than 54 or in their case, 55% of their games. I was going to say. The Blue Jays won 55%, so they're doing better. <laughs> well, yeah, I, the goal needs to be higher than that. They are doing better than Topoto's Mariners. All right, thank you, everyone, for listening all season, for listening to uh, both of these debrief episodes here at the uh, the end of the regular season and the end of the postseason as well. Thank you so much to Christian Ryan, who does uh, amazing, indispensable work on the podcast week in and week out. He's been with us all year behind the scenes uh, getting this content to all of you listeners so thanks so much to him thanks to all of you for listening we'll be talking to you this off season for Ben I'm Arden this has been at the letters